Bare Naked ABCs, where we discuss every Bare Naked Lady song from 7 to Y. And I hope that you have learned something interesting while listening to our show and, and that you continue to. This week, to help impart wisdom and knowledge, is Jeff and Aaron. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello, hello. And to introduce our guest, I would use a metaphor, but everyone knows I'm better with puns. So instead, I'll just introduce Catherine Cornetta rejoining us. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for having me. As I like to say, I was thinking about it earlier today. I'm Catherine Cornetta, the all in good time defender. Oh, wait, it rhymed. It, it rhymed while I was driving, and now that I said it out loud, it didn't rhyme. We'll, we'll have to see if it's necessary tonight. Does, does this album... <laughs> need to be uh does it need to be defended speaking of album aaron what album is off of well that was a bit of a spoiler alert there i will say i will be honest and say my i was very uh i don't know this was a difficult one for me so originally i was thinking grinning streak i knew it was definitely post page I knew from the sound of it, it definitely wasn't Silver Ball. Uh, so, yeah, All in Good Time, now that I think about it, is definitely fits in better with that aesthetic. But this one had me a little um, a little off balance. So, yeah, I was thinking maybe Grinning Streak. I wasn't really sure. We had to hear Well, I think, you, I think you will find out as we discuss it more tonight why this is the perfect album for All in Good Time. The perfect song for All in Good Time? Or, yes, perfect song for All in Good Time. Something to do with Paige leaving the band. Something, something. <laughs> I have I a good quote familiar. about that coming up later, actually. Oh, excellent. <laughs> well, let's start off with, this is a song written by Ed Robertson. And yes, this week we are discussing the song I Have Learned. If you haven't heard this song before, here is a quick snippet. I have learned to live with, live with every choice we make. has not been played very much live. This is one of the ones that they don't go back to very often. Not sure why. It's a shame. I like it. They played it 13 times during that a tour for this album, and then that was it. They have not played it since 2011, according to setlist.fm. Uh, they kind of left this behind. It, it almost wasn't on the album either. I mean, not, not almost on the album, but I know it didn't make the cut for the vinyl album either. Mm -hmm. That was one of the two Correct. songs that didn't make the cut. Correct. I had that in there. There was only two songs that wow. didn't make the cut, and this was one of those two songs that they decided to leave off the vinyl album, um, which I find interesting because there there's a definite theme going with this album, and this song fits that theme, and they're like, no, we'll leave that one off. <laughs> um, so why don't we go to Aaron to give us... Hmm. So I hadn't picked up on any theme of, of All in Good Time. Is there? <laughs> I no, no theme at all. It's really you obscure. Know, I, I thought about it today. It's like Ed Robertson's Taylor Swift album. Like he, yeah, he, yeah that's true. You yeah. should send us some cardigans like she's doing to all of the Instagram influencers right now. 
Well, to use that kind of analogy, I would say that this is Ed Robertson's Alanis Morissette song. Sure. This is the <laughs> you ought to know of All in Good Time. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think this is the you ought to know out of all Ed Robertson's songs. <laughs> yeah, I like it. <laughs> well, well, since we're starting with the music, Aaron, why don't you break it down for us? All right, let's break it down. <laughs> Break it down. I Have Learned was recorded at 130 beats per minute. It is in the key of B minor, but it borrows the major tonic from B major during the resolution of the chorus. Here's me doing my best with the chords. For the verse and intro sections, you have B minor, which is your minor first, and then D major, your major third, present in a minor key. In a major key, of course, this would be a minor. Uh, and then for the chorus, it's mostly just those two chords. Uh, for the chorus, you have D major, which is, again, your third, your major third, to B minor, your minor first. And then it goes D major, your major third, to B major. That's that resolution I was talking about, where obviously if you're in B minor, you're not going to hear B major unless you're doing something interesting like borrowing from the parallel major or minor. Uh, most of the song more or less revolves around those two chords with some passing chords and tones, making the riff uh, more or less F sharp minor, which is your minor fifth, to E minor, which is your minor fourth, to D major, your major third, to A major, dominant seventh, and then bringing it home to B minor, your tonic. Uh, and that's more or less the chorus vocal melody as well, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, the bridge is A major, again, that dominant seventh, to E major. Uh, so once again here, we seem to be borrowing from the parallel B major key. And this gives the bridge a slightly more, I don't want to say uplifting, but it's a little more positive sounding. It's got a real arena rocker feel. I got shades of Queen coming through, although absolutely no offense intended to B&L, but this song can't stand up to Queen, but no one really can. Not even Muse. Exactly. <laughs> and Muse tries really hard. And I love Muse, by the way. Matt Bellany. Matt Bellamy, I know you listen, so please come on the show. We'd love to talk about Muse. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's really good. I like it. Um, anyway, you get A major to E major to D major, which now puts us squarely back into the key of B minor. So we can transition back to the verse with B minor. And this time coming out of the bridge into the third verse. It's really not really a verse since it's not sung. It's instrumental. Let's get that rocking guitar solo back into the chorus to resolve the song again ending on b major and i really like the way that b major lands at the very end of the song it gives it a really clear resolution um kind of almost epic feeling so the structure of this song then would be intro slash verse which is your a section chorus which is your b section verse 2 a chorus b bridge c verse 3 instrumental guitar solo a changes and then chorus b so you have a b a b c a b very classic pop rock format it's kind of a riff rocker almost in the style of like smoke on the water i mm. get that kind of feel from it uh chunky power chords in a minor key not too fast i haven't heard a lot of songs like this from bnl at least not yet uh, so there's a little bit of novelty in that I think Ed's light, airy vocals, I like the way they kind of float above the first half of the verses, which creates this nice dichotomy. Then they get a little more present, and then when the chorus kicks in, of course, Ed's almost yelling as much as Ed yells. <laughs> um, it's an interesting thing to note that the chorus, again, resolves to the B major rather than B minor. It, it gives this... Um, I wouldn't say this song is bitter. That's for you guys maybe to say during the lyrics section. I, I want to hear. I'm very curious because you guys all have more uh history with the band than i do so you probably have a little more insight there 
But I'm usually <laughs> prone to perceiving minor as really powerful. Uh, but the major resolution at the end of the chorus, and especially at the end of the song, give it a tone of almost like righteous indignation. Like when you just laid, mm-hmm. it's like a mic drop, you know? Yep. Uh, so I don't know. I think this, honestly, this is the kind of song that could have been a gateway song into getting me into VNL back when I was an angsty high school student. <laughs> um, ironically, these days I'm, I'm opening up to a lot more major and upbeat stuff, but isn't it's interesting how my tastes have changed over the years. I still love minor, uh, but my ability to appreciate other sounds has grown substantially. Um, the first time I listened to this one, I wasn't sure I cared for it, honestly, but then it grew on me. And the more I listened to it, the more I liked it. I really ended up liking this song quite a bit. How about you guys? Word for word, what I was going to say. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. I was the same way. I, I went into this one, not thinking I was going to like it at all, but the more I listened to it and picked out the inter- intricacies and we can talk about them, but yeah, um, this one definitely grew real fast mm-hmm. on me from being it. It doesn't sound like a bare naked lady song, is what I said, and I'm, and I think that was the first hit. But then after mm-hmm. that, yeah, this one, this one's really changed in my view a lot. What about you, Catherine? I have always i I really like this song. Um, I don't think it goes with the rest of the album, except for its theme. But it's I love the guitars in the song. I think. It's just very well put together. And I also like, musically, I like Jim's uh, background vocals. And I think, especially at the early part of the song, they really come through and really kind of bring out an Ed and Jim harmony, which we we didn't get to experience a lot of pre, I mean, during the page years. And that we still, I don't feel like we get enough of uh, but the two of them harmonize really well together, and I, I mm-hmm. really like that yeah, in the song. Some really nice harmonies. Yeah. Actually, if I didn't know at first, um, honestly, if this this was from All in Good Time, when I those harmonies to me still feel like a Steve at harmony a little bit. Jim just really is is nailing it, and in, in his own way, is taking mm-hmm. it. But it's still at first when those harmonies first come in, I was like, oh, Steve, you know, you know, before realizing what album's on, you know, especially early on in this song. Um, well, and then later on too, but um, the harmonies just click. Those are really solid and just great B and L harms there. And props for Jim, you know, for for doing that because, like Catherine said, that wasn't something we really got to hear before. Yeah, I think that could be like um, kind of one of the silver linings about the split is that you hear more from the other members, and it's not not that it. I don't, you know, I think especially instrumentally, it was always very much. Um, an ensemble effort, but vocally and just even from as far as I understand it, the songwriting responsibilities, you get more input from, uh, from everyone else after page left. So as much as I love the page Robertson collaboration sound, it's kind of interesting to hear more from the other members of the band too. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we've had a brothers Cregan or, and I think we've only had one thin buckle album since, since Steven left. And I think that's because a lot of the band is feeling like they have a lot more expression in the band uh, with their songwriting now, which, which is great. I still love Steven's stuff, but it's really cool to hear some of the other guys in, you know, influences in here as well. Mm -hmm. I found an article uh, from the globe and mail music. And in that one, one of the lines they said, I never really thought about, but it makes sense. Is they say that on all in good time, bare naked ladies for the first time sounds like a band instead of a duo. Oh, okay. Oh. I thought that was a really good line because they're like, you know, for the first interesting chunk of bare naked ladies, it's it's Steve and Ed 
trading vocals, trading writing, sharing writing with not a whole lot of of, of extra. You know, that was it was Ed and Steve with the backing band, which I hate to say because I mean, you know, we all appreciate and love what the members of the band do. You know, Tyler and, and Kevin and Jim and and then Andy before, but I like that. And I the more I listen to this after hearing that statement, I really kind of felt that too. Um, just the interplay in this one in the second verse you know i think it was one of the listens to i heard all these little things happening on the guitars in the background mm-hmm. that i thought was yep. amazing yep. just these little riffs going up in the back and then uh as you get closer to the chorus there's that little screech of the guitar and just these little interplays that you hear and i kind of th- thought you know and then jim's jim's harms and um i can see that like all in good time is more of a band album than let's say maroon or stunt which feels like you know it's ed and steve Mm -hmm. and we don't hear kevin often playing guitar but that's from what i've seen in the live videos um and from what i've picked out that's kevin playing the the high electric guitar notes on this song uh the ones that you were mentioning like what i put in there for the second verse and then also the bridge that's kevin i mean he's not van halen but that's a pretty solid bridge yes Yes, and it's like it's a rocker and it's enjoyable. Yeah, I like that sentiment that Aaron expressed earlier that if you didn't know know that it's like it's such a rocker that you'd be shocked to know that it's bare naked ladies, and and that guitar that section Kevin's guitar really brings that home and really shows off what kind of musician Kevin is because I think especially until fairly recently that got lost like we lost what he had done for so many canadian bands and for lou reed um until you know we finally canadian journalists have brought it to the spotlight and see how you know influential kevin has been in the whole generation of canadian music and now and then i have learned you really see like how high his skills are on guitar Mm -hmm. and instead of just thinking he's a fantastic piano player Mm -hmm. And, and you had mentioned earlier, both you and Catherine and Aaron, that this doesn't, you would never immediately guess this was a Bare Naked Ladies song other than Ed's voice at the beginning. Like, and even Ed's voice is different than he typically uses, but the feel of this song is very different than anything I think Ed has written prior to this. Um, he is definitely... Uh, honing in and using the muse uh, and the emotions that he's feeling at the time of of this recording to portray that into this music. You know, at the beginning, it starts off with an instrumental and it's soft, but because of the low bass and the low electric guitar and with Ed's almost whispering, it sounds very ominous. No, don't everything there's no unknowns yeah i mean it's that it's that minor sound again and and the the fact that it's it's like a low boil during Mm -hmm. the verse you know and it it doesn't change in tempo or anything but it changes in intensity during the chorus it's like it's almost like i and again i'm sure this is a good transition probably to the lyrics but i can imagine ed running through like maybe an imaginary conversation with steve or like maybe he's like writing him a letter or something and he's like trying to keep his calm and stuff and then he just 
the chorus hits and he just lets it all out. Yeah, it's like an explosion of uh, of emotions. So yeah, I really like it. There's a really cool feeling about the song. Again, it's, it's not really like anything else I've heard by the band up to this point. I know we're not even probably halfway through yet, but um, uh, I've obviously listened to over well over 100 songs by them now, which is way more than I had heard prior to doing this podcast. And yeah, it's it's quite unique in the pantheon as far as what I've heard. So I enjoyed it. Let's switch over to lyrics. And my first mention for both lyrics and music was angry. Just that was, I mean, Eddie is very much portraying the emotion that he, I think, is feeling with this, with everything he is trying to put forward. This song makes you feel and understand being angry at whoever he's angry at is definitely there's a lot of angst and anger that he is trying to express here. Who could it be? (laughs) (laughs) So the band, when they wrote this album, wrote 27 songs. They only recorded 18 of them and then only had 14 make the album. So this was really important to Ed. And, and I think the message in this song was really important to Ed. I think he, he definitely had something he wanted to say to someone. So let's talk about what that message is. All right. First first of all, with the music, I found, uh, actually, I think I looked up three separate live versions of this song. And in all three, Jim, Kevin, and Ed are front stage with guitars, with bass and guitars. So it's it's cool on it's full on in your face. Kevin, Jim, and Ed are about to rock you on this one uh, with mm. string instruments. This one for me, I guess you can interpret a lot. And uh, for this mm. one, I I don't hear this any other way but an anti or not. I don't want to say anti, but but an angry at Steven song is the only way I hear this one. Um, and I tried to be, tried to talk my way out of it by reading the lyrics and and analyzing it. <laughs> this is a, this is I'm mad at you, Steve. This is. Okay. <laughs> And I, I feel mean, you like you could easily say it's about a relationship and it's an ended relationship and it's an angry end of the relationship. But as soon as you know that that's what it is, and as soon as you know the time context, it, there's no doubt in your mind. Like the lines pretty much are very obvious. Right. It, um, and there's one that really sticks out for me, and I'll talk about that one. That I, I almost felt a little, oh, because I may, maybe I hadn't heard anything or, or wasn't privy to that. But I almost, but I've always kind of thought it in my head, and I, I'm afraid to say it. I'm, and I'm sure it's something that Ed heard, and I think it gets referenced here. But and so the the other line that I found that that was in the Globe and Mail one um, that I liked said, "Of this, you may be certain, every breakup song or diss on the new BNL album will be presumed to contain Stephen Page references." Which that that makes sense, and yeah. the lines in this are great. I, I never had an issue with the lyrics from the start. Like I said, when I first heard this, I, I bothered me that it was so quiet to start. I didn't get why they were doing that. Um, I wasn't sure why at the time. I thought Ed was trying to sound like he was in Stone Temple Pilots on the chorus because that's what it felt like. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I heard I hear '90s it. grudge in that chorus, and I'm I like, can why, hear is, it. why is he going for that? And uh, but at the beginning, I felt '70s rock track, and you had mentioned Smoke on the Water, so yeah, but I felt I felt that kind of thing. But uh, I heard a little kind of Eagles going on there too. But but yeah, I, the the lines of this one I felt were uh, full on Steve. The one that just really stuck out is, but I would love to live with giving this shaky voice some shade. Explain that one, because yeah. I've always I've always struggled with that line and tried to figure out like what is he saying? And there? I always I always thought it was shaky voice some shape, and then 
but and that's how I've always like sung along with it. But the lyrics say shade. So I'd love to hear what you have. To me, shape makes more sense, but I'd love to hear what you right. think. I I just feel like Ed probably heard the comparisons I've heard listening to BNL, and it was never an issue to me. But from day one of listening to BNL, and you listen to a Steve's track, you listen to an Ed track. Steve's vocals are arguably they're they're two vocal styles. Steve is on point, accurate, pin pin right there, uh, on tone, on pitch virtually every time he has that vocal that can just do so much and he's always right there um in that sense stylistically and i would say um music school he's got that vocal in that sense whereas ed a lot of the time has what i would have called before having i even ever heard a song a shaky voice he's got a voice that does fluctuate it does it does it doesn't always stay there not in the sense that it's bad but i would say that steve's voice is more of the classically trained this is how you should sing. This is what people might call a better singing voice. I don't believe that. I don't feel that way because a lot of my favorite singers have voices that are emotional or have that pitchiness at times or um, bright eyes is an example. Yeah. Um, Leonard Cohen is, I don't know if Elliot you call Smith. him, you know, sings like, I, that's what me, Ed, and songs that Ed sings, I don't think would work with Steven. Even yeah. Pinch Me, not the most emotional song. It's an Ed song. It has to be an Ed song. Uh, if I Fall, it has to be an Ed song. But there's always this part of me that I, when I hear this, I wonder if Ed has heard that comparison or if that comparison was talked about. At well, some Steve point, was, has anyone ever referred to Steve as, I hate, and you know, I don't, and, and this is not my thoughts, as the better singer in the band? Well, or, he was the theater kid, right? Huh? Yeah, Steve was yeah. the theater kid. Yeah, and I just, I wonder, That's that to me is what I feel like, and I, and so give it some shade, I, I would feel the opposite. Ed's voice is coming out. He has nothing to be compared to now. You know, he is essentially now the lead singer of the band, full on, you know, with Steve leaving. But I kind of, that's what that line always felt like to me. Like, there was probably always going to be, uh, and maybe I'm dead wrong, and for those who know more about the history and everything, but I always felt like there was probably at some point in their history, either through a music critic or even internally, some comparison with the two. Because I feel like it's inevitable, and I feel there's a part of Ed that's like, uh, there's no comparison anymore. I mean, I, I, I am the band now. This is This is, you know, who the band is. And I'm wondering if when you look at the history, the the time right before the split, I always, and maybe I shouldn't look at it this time, I look at snack time when they're doing the crazy ABCs and Steve refers to Ed as, that's my guitar player. My guitar player. Some pasha. Well, yeah. and that to me, and, and it's funny, I never thought about it until my husband, who was not amused, like, his knowledge of music start, stops at 1961 and thinks he loves Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra, um, which is fine. I, I'm cool with it. But he was listening <laughs> to Crazy ABCs one day and he goes, hey, that's not nice to say about Ed. He sings a lot. And I was like, I never thought about it that way. Um, <sighs> and so you, I'm wondering if leading up to this split, there was a lot of discussion about how Steve's voice was, you know, classically trained and very strong and Ed's voice, you know, I, I wonder if there was the animosity between Ed not being as good of a singer. And also, I, I think never- there was a lot of animosity there too, because if you look back at the songs that have hit and the songs that the company has always recommended for singles, except for pinch me, I agree. Pinch Me is it's, the only one that I would say would, was the one that stood out that's an Ed song. But yeah, I, I was thinking that. Oh, I was going to say that they're Ed songs. Like the one week was an Ed song. And then and then 
uh, it's all been done was, but it was more of a B side of of one week, and then then you have another postcard, yeah, and you also have pinch me, and I think that Steve was pretty upset that like these were the ones that the company was really pushing forward were these pop type songs that he was like, that's not where I want to go with the band. That's not what I want to be playing and be known for. Right. Well, and with one week, I feel like Ed was more known, not for the singing, but for rapping, because he essentially just raps his way like um, uh, uh, a maniac, <laughs> an amazingly talented <laughs> maniac through that line. And that there, the comparison was that Steve got the chorus. But um, yeah, I was thinking... You're right. The, the, you're, you're, that is true. Then the more pop ones, the more ones that were pushed forward in the heyday were were Ed songs. Early on, I feel like you were hearing a lot more Steve with you know Brian Wilson yeah. and everything. But yeah, yeah. But they were they never caught on. They never blew up. Right. The Ed songs, and I think there was some some animosity about that. Like, hey, I I've been classically trained. Like, I these are some of my really I'm proud of these songs. And one week is the one that blows up. One week's a weird one, though, because I never really thought, saw that as an Ed or Steve song. That's, like, their most Both of Us song, because Ed has the verse and Steve has the chorus. Yeah, but it was completely an Ed-written song. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and it was never... I don't think it was ever meant... That one and Chimpanzees, they both kind of said, like, it was never meant to be the big blow-up song. It was meant to be on there. It was meant to be present. It was not meant to be big. And then they, they it caught hold, and they're like, oh wasn't the, and ed was fine with it he wrote it he's like great one of my great one of my songs just went just went platinum that's wonderful i don't think uh steven was as happy about that postcard was the big hit as opposed to like war on drugs yeah i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> because he doesn't like the, the silly songs well i mean he doesn't mind them but he doesn't want to be known for that right that uh, is true you no know, those aren't really steve's songs i mean steve's not really a one week i mean pinch me i can see steve sort of writing that but um another postcard but you know steve steve's the the dark uh tortured artist writer of the band and that's those weren't songs that were becoming hits so that makes sense except for this song yeah <laughs> steve didn't write this song but it is dark <laughs> ed had to fill that void so he's <laughs> Dude, like when it, when you want to talk about what this song's about you go back to one specific line i'd use a metaphor but i'm done with you yes which <laughs> like I that missed... sums it up I mistakenly said was in Golden Boy the last time I appeared. And so I apologize, listeners. I got that wrong. It is in I Have Learned. But it's definitely, that ties back to this other song in the trifecta of the anti-Steve songs on this album. There's Golden Boy, How Long, and I Have Learned. And so uh, that line harkens back to How Long. Well, I mean, look at it. You got I Have Learned, How Long, Golden Boy, you run away. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. boom! You got four songs right off the, and those are the ones that made the cut out of the twenty-seven songs. Yeah. What of the other thirteen songs that didn't make the cut were also along <laughs> the same vein? Well, I... they didn't want to have to censor. <laughs> yeah, they they decided to cut "F You, Steve" <laughs> at the last moment. Thought it was a little too blunt. I almost I wonder almost if. Because you look at what were the bonus cuts and you look at Moonstone and you, I almost wonder how much of the cut songs were not about Steve and more about the other mm. things Ed was going through at the same time, including his mother. Yeah. And I wonder if he said, you know what, 
that's not something I want to sing for a whole tour. That's not something let's stick to a definite theme with a bunch of these songs. And maybe those songs that we've never seen the light of day of were more about like the plane crash and his mother passing away and things like that. Um, I, ha I so I have a question. Like the the rest of this song is pretty blatant and right out about what he's trying to say, especially the second verse. Like I don't think you're comfortable until you're not. When things get wonderful, you get hot. Like yeah, <laughs> that's a very pointed line. And then can you forgive me for what I had to do? So a lot of people have said in the past. I, I just brought this up and thought in my mind, like, oh yeah, I wanted to say that. So, uh, but we will go back to the first verse in a second. But a lot of people have been like, no, it was a mutual leaving. Like they mutually agreed to to end this. And Steve has said several times since then that it was not so mutual as people would believe. I think this line gives it away. What I had to do. He may have felt like it was something he that he had to do, but I I get the feeling that. It was Ed's kind of push for Ste Stephen to make your decision. Are you are you fully with the band and, and what we're doing, or are you are you going to continue with these things that you keep doing? And it's interesting. Like he sounds remorseful. Like he he sounds like he feels bad about it, but also feels like he was backed into a corner. Well, I think it ended amicably. Is a is a corporate PR kind of line. It's just what you tell the public. Because you don't want to draw any more attention, you know, than you have to. And then years later, you can spill that. So I would certainly think there was there was more of a division and what amicably lets on at the time. Let's talk about that first verse, though, because it confuses me a little bit. And I think, again, it sounds very much like, as Aaron, as you said before, he's having a conversation with Steve that maybe we're not in on. <laughs> like, this is a continued argument they've had over time. No, don't know everything. There's known unknowns. So, <laughs> I, I guess he's trying to say, like, yeah, I don't know everything. I'm not the smartest person on the planet. There are things I don't know. Is that what everyone else's take was? All it made me think of was that Donald Rumsfeld quote where he's like, there are known knowns, there are unknown knowns, there are known unknowns, and there are unknown unknowns. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I was just buried in Iraq war propaganda for the whole point of that verse. I, I couldn't <laughs> dig myself out of that hole. That's what the song is about, actually. <laughs> it, it all makes sense now. It's about, it it's about Donald Rumsfeld. Well, okay, so clearly the departure of Steve, I mean, it had to be heavily on everyone's mind. Like, there's no way... I'm willing to believe that some of these songs that we've we've talked about maybe had their genesis in something else. You know, there's a lot of relationship songs and a lot of songs, you know, that they write where it could just be us kind of um, plugging in our own biases and, and perceiving it through the filter of, you know, what we know about the band. But <laughs> if, if ever, right, if ever there was a song... <laughs> It seems to be pretty directly about the yeah. yeah the split. This seems to be it, in my opinion. This one and Golden Boy are very and Runaway are very definitive. But okay, so what does too long just wondering lazy bones mean? <laughs> like that has always I'm like what? <laughs> Maybe that this was building up and he kind of kicks himself that he didn't act sooner. 
Maybe he's calling himself yeah. Lazy Bones. Like, and I don't like to bring this up on the podcast, but if we're analyzing the song, I mean, we know what had happened just before the breakup too with Steve. In typical situations, that's not an overnight thing. That's a buildup. I don't know how much Steve has talked about it or yes. how much you know, but it's not an overnight thing. That's a long, usually, process. Oh, oh, or oh, there's a lot of other yeah. things that go along with it. Um, and then we talked about the constant division. And actually, now that I now that you mentioned that with the whole. Um, Steve getting frustrated as, as an artist, you know, and a tortured artist, I would say that, and um, mm-hmm. and I love him for it. Um, writing all these songs that aren't getting popular when the silly ones are, I feel like that line comes with uh, comes it goes along with when things get wonderful, you get hot. Here we finally got famous after Gordon and 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 maybe you should drive and born on a pirate ship. Here we made it big, and you're still getting angry. <laughs> I which yeah. I I kind of feel like that's what the line is. And I just feel like maybe this was going on for a while, and Ed is. Saying to himself, I, sh- I should have done something. But that guy could be way off on that. I can see that. Yeah. Or alternatively, it could be him referring to Steve as Lazy Bones. Like, he was dragging his feet when he knew he clearly wasn't happy in the band and wanted to go off and do his own thing. Maybe it's time for you to just, uh, like Tracy said, uh, move your bowels or get off the pot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna my, lie; it's kickier when you say it the other way. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the uh, I think the the verse that stood out most to me was, "I don't think you're comfortable until you're not. When things get wonderful, you get hot." I mean, uh-huh. that's, clearly, like you said, Tracy, like Steve is kind of the tortured artist guy. I don't think that he likes to be comfortable. I think he likes to be pushing buttons. He likes to get people's dander up. He likes to write. You know, he's written a series of quite controversial and and uh, provocative songs, and that was clearly contrary to the direction the rest of the band was heading yeah mm-hmm. yeah as we see in grinning street yeah. where everything becomes very happy yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> and the the two lines that stick out to me are i've learned to live with live in with every choice we've made and mm. when i hear that i always think about the commercial choices they made as a band right leading up in that time when you look at they had that deal with disney they had, they were doing the theme song for Big Bang Theory. And I imagine that there was some discussion, you know, almost like a selling out discussion. And Steve saying to Ed, you know, why are you selling out? He's saying in here, you know, I live with those because I'm looking at, and this is me reading into it. He lives with it every day. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that you, exactly. beat, you beat me to it. <laughs> yes. Exactly. He lives with it every day. But I think you have a good point. And he lives on, like he lives with it every day on a pile of money, like Scrooge McDuck. No. <laughs> Thanks, Big Bang. You make theory. a really good point, though, Catherine. <laughs> because I mean, you think of it. He, Steve didn't want to do the holiday album. Steve didn't want to do the snack time album. They also did a whole bunch of kids songs at around that same time. Not just the snack time album, but we'll be hitting other songs throughout that were on other little compilation albums. Mm-hmm. They had just made that deal with Disney. Steve wanted to go and do more of the working on the vanity project type stuff. He wasn't happy that he wasn't being able to write with Stephen Duffy anymore. He wasn't happy that they weren't doing the, they weren't going to do the stuff with the Shakespeare anymore because they just didn't have the time he wanted to take a break from writing albums and touring because he wanted to do all these other little projects these other stuff not this poppy stuff and i 
think that you have it right. Like, Ed's like, no, like, I'm happy with this decision, and you're not. Is the Disney partnership referenced in the bridge? Is that why that's there? Ooh, possibly. I never thought of that. Whole new world? Yeah. 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 I could very well I mean, obviously, it it means that this is a whole new world, but I just wondered (sighs) that. Yeah. Oh my god! I never caught that. Blown. Wow. <laughs> nice. Jeff has just left the podcast. That was his. That he was like, I have nothing more to add. I, I was gonna say though, <laughs> it's ironic though that when we talk about this, like if that is true, and that makes a lot of sense, that Ed was fine with the direction they were going, the popularity. He was riding that wave. He was fine with doing the the fun, silly songs, the lighthearted stuff. Um, Whereas Steve wanted to be still profound and deep and 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 dark at times, um, and then Steve leaves and they proceed to do all in good time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> this is what you wanted. I mean, I I can I kind of I have to uh, to a certain extent uh, empathize with Steve because like if my band suddenly found a bunch of fame and was like, hey, we need to do a kids album, I would have been like. Uh. <laughs> and then we need to tour with that Kills album. I've never seen both sides of this band more than I do right now. Like I can see both yeah. <laughs> the personalities. How we they... need to tour with the Kids album. We need to play at Disney a couple times a month. Like So are we saying see why that wasn't We're gonna to do a TV like show and it's gonna be successful. <laughs> are we saying Page is Lennon, Robertson is McCartney. Yeah, I, th- I would agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I think that, that's that, a pretty that's... apropos yeah. comparison. <laughs> Kevin's Yoko? I don't know. I, I don't... <laughs> wow, you take that back. <laughs> Kevin is Harrison. <laughs> I, I totally agree with that. Kevin is totally Harrison. You would think Jim would be Harrison, but <laughs> well, Jim Jim is also a Harrison. Yeah. They have too many people yes. in the band, yes. but <laughs> but Kevin and Tyler and Tyler's just like I'm just walking back here. <laughs> <laughs> just keep it going. <laughs> as simple as the bridge is, I really kind of enjoy what they're trying to say there like we have this angsty angry song and then he's like you know what same sun same fun the world hasn't changed you know the the life hasn't changed that much other than this one little thing but now it's a whole new world my favorite part of the song like i'm i think that that is almost it's optimistic but in some ways it's almost a bigger slap in the face than any of the other lines leading up to it. Like, everything's the same except for you being gone, and now everything's wonderful. Have fun. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm reaching again, but listen to the harms on the bridge. It's like all four of them doing this crazy unified thing. Like, hey, Steve, <laughs> guess what? We can, we got a band. We can do this. Like, listen to how good, you know. it's That bridge is just four parts of just gorgeous, sunny <laughs> beauty, you know. To 
an extent, this reminds me of, I don't know if you guys are uh, fans of Jonathan Colton. Oh, yeah. He wrote quite possibly one of the greatest breakup songs in the world called This One Is Not About You, <laughs> in which he details exactly who it's about. And then it's like, this is not a song about you. <laughs> it's kind of giving me that it's same the, vibe. It's the you're so vain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so are there any other things that people want to add about this, um, this song? Yeah, that is a face-melting guitar solo, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's really great. <laughs> that is a really great guitar solo. Like I said it before, it's not Van Halen, but that's okay. It's still really good. I will take this opportunity to say that if more of the post-page BNL that I've heard thus far was like this song, I would probably be a lot more fond of it. I think it's different enough that it would be like, okay, we're going in a completely different direction now that we're a different band. Instead of trying to to go in the direction that I think that they went, which is much more poppy. And I don't know, there's there's always something that for me with BNL, I, you know, Brad, my, my wife will be like, uh, you love pop music, don't deny it. There's a lot of pop music I really do love. It's not what I came to BNL for, though. BNL is is more of my angsty type music. I mean, we <laughs> and and it's not like deep angst, but it's just that a little bit of a tinge enough with the happy sound or the sad sound with the happy theme that it was always interesting and com- complex. It's been less of that since Steve left. Uh, whereas Steve's music has continued to be that complexity with a lot of underlying meaning. And I can see maybe they why they want to go pop. I mean, I, they worked hard to get there and they deserve it. It's just not what I typically come to B&L for. Yeah, but it's... What do we think waving your candlesticks in your burnt hands? Okay, so I was thinking about this. And so the whole, the whole verse is, Spare me the parlor tricks that impress your fans, waving your candlesticks in your burnt hands. Candlestick in your burned hands to me implies any damage that was done was self-inflicted. You know what I mean? Okay. So, like, he's trying to impress people over here, ends up hurting himself. That's on you, I think is what he's saying. Right. I I think it's also, going back to that, what you had said before with that previous verse, why do you burn your hands with candles? Well, it's holding on to them for too long. It's allowing the wax to melt Mm. down to that point. Oh, yeah. Could also be, yeah, like the... Burns uh, twice as bright and half as long. Right. Maybe it's like a backhanded compliment or an, an insult that's softened with a compliment. Like, you're a really talented guy, but you don't know when to quit. Yeah. And I could see the line about the parlor tricks, because I know when I've seen them, and both live and, and videos of live, it's, you know, Steve is jumping all over the stage and switching <laughs> things up. And, um, and oh, yeah. I, I could see that, that being a reference just to that, like, <laughs> I was just thinking about that live a video of angry people that you showed us, Tracy. He's like Chris Farley slash Jack Black energy in that. It's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and Steven always has his big high kick split. Like, that's that's the Steve thing. He does it every single show. Even now, he still does it. Um, does so, he really? Yeah. Yeah. I wish at his age I could still pull that off. Yeah. <laughs> All right, any more things that we want to make sure we, we suck out of this song? It's better than how long. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Agreed. Agreed. Oh. Right. What, what is the trouble, Tracy? 
The trouble with Tracy on this song is the placement on the album. They put it middle of the album. This is number seven. I think this is a statement of what he's trying to say with this album. I mean, it's a repeated theme throughout this album. This is a rocker. Like, why is it in the middle of the album? I mean, it, it, it's followed by every subway car, which just makes every subway car feel worse because it compared to this one... It doesn't rank up there next to this one. Like every subway card like pales in comparison. Um, so I, I think that this one should be at a different place in the album. Personally, I think that this song should possibly even be the opener for the album because you have that soft feel with the beginning, that really dark whispering voice. And then it gets into the rocker like that is what an opening song really in some ways should be. And I feel like you sh you run away, which we haven't covered yet, but is the opener. I think that should be the last song. That should be the closing song of this album as your finishing theme. Especially how ordinary is right before it, and I feel like ordinary is the most bare naked lady, like po free, like old bare naked lady song on this mm -hmm. album. Ordinary sounds like it could come off, it could have come off any of other. any other album, and then they. And I'm wondering if that was intentional, that here's the old Bare Naked Ladies and now here's something new that we can do. But then to follow it up with every subway car. It just makes every subway car not shine. Yeah. I think that even if you wanted to start the album with Ordinary to give that feel of like, okay, here's what we sounded like. And then boom, you know, we go into this as our master theme kind of kind of going into this, we're going to make you feel differently with this album. I think it just, it needs to be earlier on this album and it doesn't need to be stuck between those two songs. It's just a bad place. Stefan, you weren't able to join us this week. So I'm glad that you were able to kind of jump in and, and connect it with me now. So tell me what your thoughts are on this week's song. I am pleasantly surprised about I Have Learned. At first, when it started, it didn't strike me as a, uh, as a Bare Naked Lady song at all. It started off as one of those contemporary songs that you would hear on the radio. I thought it, would, it had a great intro musically, very atypical of Bare Naked Ladies. And then started up with something poignant and simple, because a lot of the top songs that are on the radio now they're very simple with catchy hooks and stomp your feet kind of beats i i thought bare naked ladies did that with this song and they did it splendidly i really liked it surprisingly i just i just it rocked me i i thought it was really really good and i'm kind of speechless right now i thought it was great <laughs> <laughs> your thoughts on this about what the song's about Oh gosh, um, I, I'm I'm seeing basically uh, giving somebody a break, time off, somebody requesting a vacation. Uh, that's what I saw and heard, and that that is something that kind of took me by surprise because it isn't something that BNL would normally sing about because they're usually just high energy, just let's go for it kind of crew and it's it's awesome it's very refreshing and this one threw me off the pace of the music the the sound of what was going on i i thought it was really really good in that regards and uh the whole give the shaky voice some shade 
you've been in the sun too long. It's time to take a break hmm. and um, get into the shade. Um, no more spotlight. No more attention. No more any of that. So what I thought of is somebody who has been performing for a long time without a rest and they're asking for it interesting i i can't explain it um other no, that's than an that, interesting take on it that's that's interesting that's cool yeah i mean spare me the parlor tricks that impress your fans waving your candlesticks in your burnt hands means that you've been burning the candle at both ends <laughs> in a in metaphorical sense and also you've been doing this for long enough for the candle to burn down to your hands. Mm -hmm. So, you know, give the shaky voice some shade. I need a break. That's mm. what I get from the whole thing is, um, is that. And um, can you forgive me for what I had to do? I'd use a metaphor, but I'm done with you. I, I need time. I need, <laughs> I need that tough poo-poo <laughs> that um, I, I, need, I need time. I need to step away just for a moment so that I can get my life, my thoughts, my energy back to where it needs to be. Wow. That's a very different interpretation. I love it. Um, I, I didn't see it as Stephen Bass at all, but uh, then again, I don't know a lot about the uh, situation with Stephen at all, but uh, you know, I can see, see from the last line that says I have learned to live, living with every choice we've made but i would love to uh live with giving this shaky voice some shade that could easily be related to stephen mm. you know um because the success that we've built up the uh the life that we've that we've built with this band with the popularity it has been a, a crazy ride and I've learned to live with living with the choices that we have made, whether it's been good ones, uh, poor ones, going on the road for weeks at a time, getting married, having kids, living the rock star life with drugs and uh, ladies or whatever is encompassing that. But, you know, I'm getting older. I've been on the road a long time. It's time to give myself a break, give the band a break in a sense of the word and kind of reanalyze where we are, what my life is about. What is this whole point of things? Cause things have shifted. I've got money. I don't have the time because of the band and what's, what's now important. So it's time to give, give myself a little bit of break, give the band a little bit of break, focus on what, uh, what the next steps are. Where do we go from here? And how do we live with the choices that we have made? So zero to five, how many would you give this song? Oh, gosh. I really like this song. I could listen to this song over and over again. So I would say, gosh, I would say 4.7. 4.7. That's, right. that's the highest I've ranked. That is. So I, I'm pleasantly surprised with the song. I love it. It's great. It's got a great beat. It's got a great message to it. It's got great sound. It's not stereotypical BNL, but it shows that they can have poignant songs with meaning with a different sound to it too. And I, I really like that. 
you know, aside from snack time, which they have every modality of music in the book out there, <laughs> you know, this is great. I love it. But it's also very mature. Well, thank you for your opinion on that, Stephen. So you like the bare naked ladies, do you? Well, what about They Might Be Giants? My name is Greg Simpson, and I host a They Might Be Giants fan podcast. And it's called This Might Be a Podcast. This Might Be a Podcast is a song-by-song podcast featuring a different guest every episode from normal fans like you and I, but also... I've had guests such as John Darneal of the Mountain Goats, Justin McElroy of My Brother, My Brother and Me, Hutch Harris of the Thermals, Mike Park of Asian Man Records, Franz Nikolai of The Hold Steady, and Danny Weinkoff and Marty Beller of They Might Be Giants, and past drummers Dan Hickey and Brian Doherty. Search for Punk News, or This Might Be a Podcast, on any podcast platform and you will find us. This Might Be a Podcast, brought to you by punknews.org. So let's uh, get to some ratings. Let's see how we feel about this song, Jeff. What are we What are we rating this week? Uh, I had a hard time with this one because I don't think we had any lines or anything today that jumped out. So I'm just gonna go with a line from the song that I think is fitting, and we're gonna rate this on a scale of zero to five parlor tricks. <laughs> how many nice. parlor tricks do you think this song? All right. right. And we will start with Catherine tonight. Um, I'm going to say, are we doing decimals tonight or are we not doing yeah. decimals? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to get as specific as you want. You can read <laughs> it. Uh, a 3.85. Nice. All right. Anything else you wanted to say about the song or how you feel about it? I think it's my second favorite of the four Ed Hates Steve songs on this album. Second favorite. <laughs> The Ed Hates to Use Quintumplet. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Whatever. All right, Aaron, we're going to shoot it over to you. Well, I have to say, I am uh, pretty much in lockstep with you, Kat. I ultimately ended up comparing this to How Long, which, again, probably should have tipped me off as to the album. Uh, I was initially thinking a similar rating. I think I gave it a 3.76, but after a little bit of thought and after listening to this multiple times and it growing on me more and more, I am going to tentatively rate I have learned a very solid 3.9 parlor tricks out of 5. Although this is one of the songs I'll potentially revisit come New Year's because <laughs> I really did enjoy it. Uh, even so, I think this place is I have learned in the top rated post-page songs for me thus far. Nice. So I'll go, like I said, I don't know if I would necessarily put this as track 1 for me. Simply because my first impressions of the song was like, I'm going to hate this. I'm not going to like this. I'm not going to enjoy it at all. And I was, um, as both an Ed and a Page fan, I'm like, like you, Tracy, I said, I'm still one of those people that I'm like, please, Steve, come back. Let's, let's get that reunion going. I mean, I'm, I'm still holding out hope for that, honestly. Um, and I would, I would love it. And just not having Steve in the band was hard, I know, uh, at that time, because I was, I was right when I was getting into them, and I well, come to find out that he was leaving. So when the song starts, I'm not sold on it, or at least originally. This is one that has really, really grown on me. The more I listen to it, the more I look at the lyrics, and even just talking about it tonight, I think it jumped up again a few notches. Um, just looking at even just the little intricacies that might possibly be in there about the candlesticks and holding on too long. Um... The references to uh, uh, the shaky voice, even possibly the Disney connection that may or may not be there, but 
I'm really happy with that one. Like I said, this one, this one started, this is probably the biggest I've gone from a Grew On Me song. And I love it. I love Ed's vocals. I think he does some really great stuff in here. I love uh, hearing all the band members really shine on this one and doing things they hadn't done before. For me, I gotta go, I gotta go a little bit high on this one. I gotta go 4.2, Parlor Tricks. And definitely, Very like nice. Aaron said, easily one of my favorite of the post uh, Steve Era songs. Tracy, how do you feel about this song? <laughs> Um, I really enjoy this song. Um, it's not like uh, I'm really super high up there. It's not going to be in my upper echelon. But I I will never skip this song on the album. Um, I will never skip this song if it comes up on my iPod. Um, I really do enjoy this song a lot. Um, and I like, as, as bad as it sounds to say, I like the fact that Ed is throwing some shade at, at Steven on this song. I would have been a little disappointed if we didn't get a song like this on this album because they need to deal with their emotions and music is how they do it. And we got him doing it and we, we get that glimpse into, yeah, this wasn't an easy thing for anyone. Um, and I'm glad that he says that because we can also identify with this song we've all been there and done that with relationships and and been angry in relationships um when they've ended it's a great rocker it's different from bnl it allows me to get something a little bit with a different feel um i give this a 3.9 just occurred to me that that might be what that line means actually and now i like it even more i might have to change my ranking again but um <laughs> would you said you said this you'd like to see that ed can give um some shade i want i think that's probably what that to me what that line means um, mm. probably he was ridiculed or critiqued for his voice compared to Steve's and now this voice this shaky voice is given the shade he never comes out obviously anywhere in this album and says um, F you Steve he knows what he's doing he knows that everybody listening to this album is going to say this is an anti-Steve album and he's acknowledging that, that's what I think so this shaky voice that was critiqued or slammed is now giving the shade that's, that's what I think that line means I could be wrong again I'm going to speak for Ed uh, as I often do and <laughs> Ed, come on the show. Yeah, Ed, you got to come on because you you gotta, gotta, otherwise we're just going to speculate wildly. Ed, if you're listening and any interpretation I gave was wrong, you need to come on. <laughs> yeah, Ed, you have to come on and defend it. Yeah, it's a matter of honor now. <laughs> come on here and throw some shade at, at Jeff. Yeah, that's I, I'll take it. I'll gladly take it from Ed Robertson. That's fine. <laughs> the Klingon High Council demands it. <laughs> and speaking of it coming on the show we have an appearance for this week mm. and <clears throat> the appearance for this week is one that Catherine actually shared with us personally i've been holding on to this um until this episode because i knew she was coming back for this um and do you want to introduce this as you you brought it to us well okay so to this week's appearance is Ed Robertson performing on something called Gotta Skate in 2001, in the fall of 2001. So he is playing on ice, on a little podium on ice. Well, Kurt Browning, who is a four-time world champion figure skater and really a Canadian hero, um, is skating. And the story goes, and they tell this in the clip, that Ed was over at Kurt's house and Kurt's wife at the time was a very famous Canadian ballet dancer. And so they're hanging out and she says, you know, you're not going to get dinner unless you finish a song. They had been talking about collaborating. And so Ed wrote the song for Kurt the Skate 2. It's an instrumental, but the two of them in the clip 
are bantering back and forth with each other. And it's quite um, entertaining, even if you don't like figure skating. I'm a little bit of a figure skating junkie, um, but I also have made a living while <laughs> writing about figure skating in the past. So there is, I, I guess, you know, maybe I should just say journalist, not junkie. But so, the, I mean, this is just one appearance. Ed and the rest of the band appeared, I want to say in 2006, and another version of Kurt Browning's Gotta Skate. Gotta Skate was something he did for a couple of years, and it was a show helmed by him that got put on once a year. And they performed Easy and another song from Bare Naked Ladies Are Men at that show. And that's just two in a long line of Bare Naked Ladies actually having a lot of interconnections with the world of figure skating because in Canada figure skating is well it has been in the past very 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 important and so um, there's I mean they if anyone has went to their concert in 2004 at the Blue Cross Arena in Rochester and go went on some long soliloquy about uh, Canadian pairs gold medalists Sele and Peltier you can find that um concert on YouTube, not YouTube, Spotify. It's from the everyone, everything to everyone tour. And then there is, I was mentioning before we started recording tonight, um, Elizabeth Manley, who won the 1988 Olympic silver medal in figure skating, actually went on tour with them in 1996 or thereabouts. So, um, well, also the year that the Canadians won the gold medal in figure skating and sh and rightly won the gold medal in figure skating. They had the gold medalists up on stage with them when yes. they played at that Olympics. Yes, in Salt Lake City. Yes. So there's been quite a few times that and, and there's even more that the band and especially Canadian figure skaters have kind of intermixed. And I love what, once again, it's Ed is throwing some shade, kind of goes along with the theme of the night, but he is throwing some shade at Kurt Browning, but in a fun way. Like they are bantering. And at one point, Kurt just goes, I should know better than to get into a war, war of words with bare naked ladies. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed watching it two or three, four times just because it, even though I'm not a huge figure skating fan, like I really loved the way they were interacting with each other. It was very familial. So, and the song is really beautiful. It's excellent. It's a very good song. Um, so we've talked about all the stuff that we've learned tonight. We've learned a lot of stuff. So now that we've learned it, I know it. I mean, I can honestly say I know that information now. Right. And you guys know a lot more information now. So next week, you guys will have to come back and we'll learn more stuff that we'll then know as we talk about the song. I know. Well, then. Most people just tune in to the end of the podcast to yeah. hear how he's going fast to fast forward to the segue. Oh, yeah, that's what insane way can he get us to next week's song it impresses me every time he does that because it's just it's like it's a master class in wordplay i would never get into a word battle with tracy yeah, and that is you, insane oh, i'm not win. throwing shade it takes me all week to write that <laughs> have you considered freestyle rap battles tracy <laughs> you've seen me when we play it on uh on jackbox it's not very pretty <laughs> 
Oh, well, thank you for joining us, Catherine. Is there anywhere that we can send people to see anything that you have written? Um, I fixed my website. So <laughs> it's exciting times. So nice. um, at some point, I will post new things again at, and please don't laugh at this URL. I bought it 15 years ago. www.sportsgirlcat.com. Cat with a K. Cat with a K, yes. And I'll be putting that into our liner notes as well and so people can just reference it. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you for joining us this week and come back next week for I Know and thanks. That was fun. Thanks, that was fun. Don't forget, no regrets. Except maybe one. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.